0: Um, so at 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. If you've got a Bible from up the back, it's on page 1049. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining him will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working, with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness.
1: Good morning, Church at Nine. My name's Chris, I'm on the ministry staff here at OEC. If I haven't met you before, a very special welcome and I hope you're enjoying your time with us. If you could keep your Bibles open, we're going to be looking at that quite closely and understanding what uh, some of these things mean for us today and uh, how they give us a firm foundation for our faith. But let me pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for these truths in your word. We pray that you would plant them in our heart so that we may have a firm foundation for our life and our faith, so that we may believe the truth and endure to the return of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, When I was growing up, uh, we had this huge tree in our backyard, this beautiful Tasmanian blue gum. It was about 50 years old. One of those old majestic trees that makes you feel small, makes everything feel small. The house feels small, the pool feels small. Uh, The kind of tree that was firm and strong and standing tall and could survive any storm. That was until it didn't. Uh, If you were living in Sydney in 1990, you might remember that huge hailstorm once in a lifetime. Insurance companies went bonanza uh, because of all the dents in people's cars. There were these huge hailstorms, bigger than cricket balls, that pelted the entire city. And this beautiful Tasmanian blue gum came down like with a huge crash that I'd never heard before. Uh, This is not the tree, but it's just, you know, one like it. The next day we went to investigate and we saw the problem. The problem wasn't the storm. The problem wasn't the wind and the hail that hit it. The problem was it had no roots. Over time, the blue gum's roots had rotted away. And in the end, there was nothing supporting it. You see, it's hard to upset a tree that is deeply rooted in the earth. The stability of the tree is only found in what it's grounded in. Interestingly, the Bible tells us that that is true of life as well, that stability in our faith is only found in what it is grounded in. Friends, this morning I want to ask, what is the foundation of your faith and what is it grounded in? Will it endure until the return of Jesus? Uh, This is a question we need to wrestle with, and it's a question that the church in Thessalonica was wrestling with as well. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and us being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter, supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. In 51 AD, the Apostle Paul is in the city of Corinth and he writes this second letter to a young church that's doing it tough. False teachers have entered into the church and claimed that Jesus has already returned. See, on the surface, the confusion comes from the Greek culture that they live in. Many of the Christians in Thessalonica was Greek converts and Greek mythology taught that in death, The body dies, but the spirit, sorry, but the soul lives on. And so there's no physical resurrection, just a shadowy, creepy Caspar, the friendly ghost kind of spiritual resurrection. So whether it's by false teachers or some sort of fake letter from Paul, the Thessalonians are under the impression that Jesus has already returned and this resurrection has already taken place. Whether it's spiritual or physical, it's already happened and they've missed it. Now, to us, this seems obvious. We don't have our resurrection bodies. I mean, yesterday morning, I went for a bike ride with Pete Tillett. He promised me an easy ride around the airport. I came back with a personal best. And I can assure you, at no point during that ride, or after the ride, or even this morning, was I convinced that I have my resurrection body. <laughs> but this is a bigger problem than we think, because verse 2, they are upset. Their faith is troubled. They've been deceived. The original word there for trouble is the same word used to describe a violent storm that tears a boat off its mooring. Or in other writings, it's used to describe a fierce wind that pushes over a tree and uproots it. Friends, can you see Paul's concern? Like a Tasmanian, like my Tasmanian blue gum that collapsed in the storm. Paul is worried that this false teaching will cause their faith to collapse. You see, the beauty of Christianity, God's love, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, is based on the truth of God's word. But when those truths are brought into question, or they are added to or twisted, the foundations of our faith are taken away. It takes the authority out of God's hands and puts it into the hands of men. It leads people away from faith in Christ, so they put their faith in humans. It promises the blessings of heaven, but delivers the sufferings of hell in this life and in the next. So what do we do? Uh, Jesus actually promised that this would happen. He said in Matthew 24, uh, he promised that after his death, resurrection and ascension, and he will return. And as we wait for him to return, he said, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus has promised that false teachers will be on this earth until he returns. And the one who endures through false teaching and deception, they will be the one who is saved. So how do we endure in this false teaching? How do we make sure that our faith is grounded in something that lasts? I mean, what do you do when you come across a group? that claims to have secret knowledge about God? What do you do when a book or a preacher claims that you're missing out on greater gifts or a deeper intimacy with God? What do you do when the cries of your heart are answered by things that are added to the gospel? What do you do when the stability of your faith Or the thing that is grounded in is shook or may be taken away. Friends, we need to be grounded in the truth of God. Big idea this morning, lifelong disciples are grounded in God's truth. I want to give you three reasons today from chapter 2 about why this is true. The first is that God's truth guards. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple and proclaiming that he himself is God. Paul gives the Thessalonians two truths that will guard them against deception, a sign and a reminder The sign, verse 3, is the man of lawlessness. Uh, Lawlessness is to create chaos by standing against God's law. And in doing so, this figure will lead people in an apostasy, a rebellion. He will lead them away from God. So in order to guard them against being deceived, Paul gives them a sign. He says, the man of lawlessness has not been revealed... Therefore, Jesus has not returned yet. Who is the man of lawlessness? Well, we see a few things in verse 4, but jump down to verse 9 with me. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working. With every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. We just read in verse 4 that the lawless one will sit in the temple. Does that sound familiar to you? He will claim to be God. Does that sound familiar to you? He will exalt himself. Uh, In verse 9, his coming, the word there, parousia, is the same word that's used to describe the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, he will even perform miracles, wonders and signs, just like Jesus Christ. Paul describes the man of lawlessness as a counterfeit Christ. One who will look like, sound like, and perform actions just like Jesus, but will not be Jesus at all. So who is this actual figure? Like, who is the person, right? Uh, Some have said that in the past it was Roman generals or even Caesar himself. Um, During the Reformation, Martin Luther said it was the Pope, and the Pope returned the compliment. Uh, People have said it has been Hitler or Trump or Biden, depending on your politics. And while history may testify to many possibilities, because there are many people in history who have tried to take people away from God and try to proclaim their own truth as God's truth, the reality is something sinister, more sinister. You see, the lawless one's power doesn't rest on armies or politics uh, or even a new world order. It is by deceiving people as being a counterfeit Christ, using the power of Satan to replace the authority of God with himself and then tempting people to walk away from God. So I take it then, the man of lawlessness is what we may read in 1 John as the Antichrist. Or, better yet, the man of lawlessness is Satan in human form. Now, to guard them against this deception, Paul gives them this second thing, this second thing to guard them. It's a reminder. Have a look at verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? Uh, It sounds a bit like Monty Python, doesn't it? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. I think Paul is saying something deeper here. You see, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul commended the Thessalonians for receiving what he taught them as the truth. They received it not as the words of men, but how it truly is the very word of God. And so Paul sees their forgetfulness and reminds them of the great teaching that they have already received, the gospel the truth of god the safeguard against deception and the remedy against false teaching is to hold on to the original teachings of the apostles the thessalonians must neither imagine that he has changed his mind that he has added to something or swallow ideas that are inca- that are incompatible with what he has taught them to hold firm to the apostolic teaching is how they are to guard themselves against this deception, both deception about the return of Jesus and the deception of the man of lawlessness. And it's those words, it's those teachings, friends, that we have in the Bible for us today. You see, ever since the garden, Satan has been tempting us away from the word of God, tempting us by saying, did God really say that? Or if God said that, did he really mean it? Or if God meant it, how can God be good? And if we want to avoid being deceived by Satan and the claims of this world, if we want to avoid the gospel being twisted and believing lies about Jesus, we need to stand firm on the word of God because it will guard us from deception. Because God has not left us alone in the dark. My kids love the game Marco Polo. They love playing in the dark and calling out to each other, Marco, Polo. They love reaching around seeing if they can find each other. I also think they like it because they just like bumping into things. Um, uh, Please don't take that as any kind of reflection of my family. But um, God has not left us alone in the dark. He's not left us to try and reach out, to speculate or to assume or or to try and figure out what he may be. God, in his love for us, has revealed himself to us in the Bible so that we may know him, love him and serve him. He gives us his word to guard us against deception so that we may stand firm in our faith as we wait for Jesus to return. So friends, can I ask you, Where are you tempted to add to the truth of God's word? Where are you tempted to say, yeah, God says that, but does he really mean it? Where are you tempted in your heart to cry out to God and to look for other things or to add to the gospel? Keep thinking about that. Because the next thing that God's truth does is it also guarantees it guarantees a future. You see, we could spend all morning talking about the man of lawlessness and investigating him and throwing around ideas, but I take it that at the end of the day, we would not walk out of here as people who are confident in God's truth and filled with the hope of Christ. And so Paul does this beautiful thing. He tells us, he points us forward to the return of Jesus, just like he did last week, so that we would might find hope today. Have a look at verse 7 with me. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the, the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and he will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Why has the lawless one not been revealed yet? Because he is being restrained. God alone has the power and authority over Satan, and therefore it is God who holds Satan back. Like a barking dog being restrained by a leash, Satan has a bark but is not free to roam this world and create absolute chaos. You see, the persistence of evil and the suffering of Christians was leaving the Thessalonians feeling like the future was uncertain like the present was out of control but who is really in control look again at verse 8 the lord will destroy lord jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming paul points them forward to see that the return of jesus shows us who is really control in the future and who is in control today That when Jesus returns, this man of lawlessness, Satan personified, will be brought to an end. That God will bring judgment, glory, and gather his people together and take them to the new creation. Which means we can have confidence today. Uh, In fact, this is how Daniel uh, describes this same event in Daniel chapter 8. It says, Near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached their full measure of their sin, A ruthless king, still in intrigue, will come to the throne. His power will be great, but it will not be his own. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and his influence, and in his own mind he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be broken, not by human hands. To give God's people hope in their suffering, God gives Daniel a vision of the end of all things so they wouldn't be deceived and find hope in their suffering. Did you notice that it is not humans who bring an end to this uh, rebellious king in Daniel 8? That is because it is God. It is God himself. At the return of Jesus, evil will be brought to an end and judged. You see, the return of Jesus won't be a long drawn out battle. It won't be like, um, Australia versus France in the Matildas game. Remember that? 20 um, penalty shootouts at the end to see who was win. Uh, it was exciting, sure, but it was really uncertain. It will not be like that with the return of Jesus. It won't be like Star Wars, light side versus dark side, back and forth. Who's going to win? At the return of Jesus, it is clear that Jesus will win. It won't even be like the Avengers. You know, the first movie in the Avengers where the bad guy Thanos wins, but then the second movie, the good guys get together and then they win. When Jesus returns, there will be no doubt. Wickedness and evilness will be destroyed at his appearance. So who is in control of the future? Well, it's obviously Jesus. Jesus is in control and Jesus gives us confidence to live today. You see, God's truth guarantees our future. God doesn't tell us every event that will happen in the future. If he did, we would be tempted to rely on our own knowledge, our own strength, and our own wisdom. But he does reveal what we need to know so that a certain future would bring us comfort and confidence today in the face of evil. While chapter 2 doesn't use the word hope, Friends, this is the definition of biblical hope. A certainty of the future that brings confidence today. You see, as we see evil in this world, it feels like the world is out of control. Uh, The last two weeks in Israel has taught us that. The last two years in the Ukraine has taught us that. Uh, It can feel like um, uh, the rug is being pulled out from under us. The firm foundation has been taken away. But this morning we have a reminder that Jesus is in control of history and the truth of God's word guarantees our future so that we might have hope and certainty today. You see, while the world is out of control, God remains in control. God has never lost the plot. God has never been out of his depth. God has never taken the hands off the steering wheel. God is working all things, both seen and unseen, to accomplish his eternal plan, to give us hope and certainty for the future. So friends, where do you need to be reminded of God's certain future? Where are you facing uncertainty and need to be reminded that God is in control? To finish with, Paul uh, grounds, we see that the truth of God grounds our faith. We live in a fiercely individualistic culture, one that proclaims there is no objective truth, there's no absolute truth, there's no capital T truth. And we're taught to look inside ourselves to discover our own truth. And when we find it, we build our life on that. We're taught to buy into the lie that if I find my truth, that I'm being my authentic self. You know, you do you. That's so authentic. I'll find a satisfied life and no one can judge me because I'm being true to who I am. But friends, if finding my own truth is so satisfying, then why are people caught in the endless cycle of trying to find out who they are and what to do with their life? Why do we continue to have a mental health epidemic? Why are so many lives falling apart? Because we are building our truth on things that don't last. Have a look at verse 10 and how Paul describes it. Halfway through verse 10, he says, "...they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned." Those who do not believe the truth but delight in righteousness. The truth in verse 10 is the gospel, the saving message of Jesus. Yet people have been deceived and don't accept this truth. Why, verse 12? Because they delight in their unrighteousness. That is to say, people reject the truth of God because they love sin. And Paul warns the Thessalonians that those who close their mind to the truth of God and turn their backs on God, that God will give them exactly what they have asked for. Romans 1 describes this as God handing people over to their sin, a marker of God's judgment before his final judgment. Why does find your own truth not work in the end? Because we are rejecting the truth of God the giver of life, and building our lives on sinking sand. So what hope is there for us? What hope is there for people who have turned away from God? Well, there is a beautiful promise in verse 10. Did you pick it up? Have a closer look. If you don't accept... uh, Have a closer look. You see, if you don't accept the truth, you won't be saved, but the opposite is equally true. If you accept the truth then you will be saved. The truth of the gospel is a beautiful promise that when we had turned our back on God, even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we would be saved. So when we trust his son, Jesus, so we trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive us of our sin, he forgives us, guarantees us of our future, and when he returns, he'll give us the glory of eternal life. And the beauty of this promise is it means that no one is too far gone for God. No one is out of reach of God. And if we would turn back to him and find forgiveness and a firm foundation to build our life, that we would be saved. Jesus doesn't just save us from judgment. He also brings us God's truth, a firm foundation for our life. See, if you were to go home and read John's Gospel this week and you were to circle every time that Jesus speaks about truth and God's truth, you would be blown away. In John 1, we read grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, your life is only as secure as its foundation. Your faith is only as strong as what it is built upon. And God, through his word, encourages us today to build our faith on the firm foundation of his truth and his word. Remember Matthew 24? Jesus said that in these final days, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply and those who love many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved we need to be people of god's truth to build our lives on his truth and ground our faith in his word to find stability that so our faith may endure so just to conclude friends remember my tree that fell over because it had no because uh, the roots had died it had no foundation today we have seen that god's truth gives us a foundation that will last God's truth guards us. So where do you need to come back to the truth of God's word? God's truth guarantees our future. Where do you need to find hope and certainty as you look towards the future? And finally, God's truth grounds our faith. Friends, where do you need to build your life on God's word so that your faith may be strong enough to endure to the end. How about I pray that Jesus would help us to do this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for the truth of your word, both in your son Jesus Christ and in the Bible. And so by your spirit, enable us to build your lives on this truth so it may endure to the end. Not so that we may glorify ourselves, but bring glory to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.